With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. You know, just using your voice a little more, just being a little bit more vocal. Um, You know, understanding what you do is being watched, you know, whether it's on the court or off the court, so just being mindful of that. You know, if I'm acting a fool off the court, then the other guys are going to be cool to act fool off the court. So just be mindful of that kind of stuff and, you know, just lead these guys in the right direction. And it seems like you and Br- uh, Braswell are pretty close. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's my guy. What's that relationship like between you two? I see you clowning him on. <laughs> oh, yeah, he's a goof. He's just he's a goof. Uh, that's my guy, though. He's just, he's just, we're just we're real cool. Uh, we, we, we pretty much grew a relationship last year. Towards the end of the season, we got close. We just got close ever since. That's my guy. It seems like that's kind of how you carry yourself too. Is you're yeah. just, uh, that's how you got to be. I'm not gonna call you a goof, but if you want, you, gotta, I mean, you can call me. That's fine. You can call me. Uh, yeah, you, just, you gotta have fun. You gotta have fun with it. So that's all I'm trying to do. It's a North Carolina meltdown here late in the half, started by Cole Anthony and his decision making. Hughes went to work on Playtech. Again, Hughes on Playtech. The fadeaway in the final seconds. What a half for Elijah Hughes and the Syracuse Orange. This is the Syracuse Basketball Podcast. I am Bobby Manning. He's James Zuba. And in the building is Matthew Gutierrez. In a building in Florida. Not, not physically in the building. <laughs> We're so Actually, out outside. <laughs> you might as well be outside, not in a building if you're in Florida. James is in New York. I'm in Peabody on quarantine. No one's in Syracuse, neither is Elijah Hughes, because he is going to the NBA. Maybe he'll be in Boston soon. Whoever he is, won't be Syracuse next year. He declared for the NBA draft today, as expected, after leading the ACC in points per game. Fantastic season, probably one of the best in Syracuse history. I was in awe watching it from start to finish and amazing, amazing silver lining to this season. So well-deserved. I also note, at least from what I've seen, the least resistance Jim Beheim's ever gave to someone leaving early. He's usually saying, oh, they're not ready. They could use another year. There was, <laughs> Matt, in your article, I loved his Hail Mary to keep him. <laughs> he says, yeah, <right. laughs> if Elijah Hughes returns, he'll win the ACC Player of the Year. And next step, we'll win the ACC. <laughs> I loved it. Didn't work, though. Hughes is gone. Uh, not very surprising, Matt, was it? No, not at all. I think we, we'd probably, I think a lot of Syracuse fans could assume that just based on the season he had, especially January, February into March. And, you know, we had heard a little bit in the past couple of weeks that it was becoming more and more unlikely he would stick around. Uh, I've heard some people float around the idea that he could test and then return uh that's i would put like a one percent chance on that just given he's a, pretty much a lock to be a, a mid second round pick at worst you know in a relatively weak draft and could sneak late first although interested in what you guys think but i don't think that might be possible now just because they won't have the workouts uh or the other scouting activities so he won't really have much opportunity to sneak further up you know whereas right now he's he is where he is who knows? They might not even have the draft. Draft's usually toward the tail end of June. The, the NBA is hoping to get its season going in July. So I think that's going to be a priority. So he's definitely heading into uncharted waters when it comes to the process. There won't be the in-person thing, certainly. I mean, maybe they could do a Zoom draft combine. I don't know. <laughs> Skype? Zoom stock is going up, James, right? 
Hey, we'll we'll see how this whole thing plays out. Um, you know, currently the the combine is scheduled for May, uh, mid May, and then the draft is scheduled for June twenty fifth uh, in Brooklyn at the Barclays Center, actually, uh, where we've all spent a frequent amount of time. Um, <laughs> we'll we'll see if any of those dates have, have been impacted or anything. You know, it's it's too soon to tell. Um, don't want to speculate too much on the, the coronavirus and the pandemic and everything that's going on there. But we'll we'll see if those dates remain in place. Um, as it relates to Hughes, yeah, he could come back. It's extremely unlikely. I think we all know that. But uh, he does have up until 10 days before the draft to withdraw his name and retain his eligibility. Um, he can he can hire an agent through this process. Um, the agent would have to be NCA certified so long as he wants to retain his eligibility. And he can accept a payment as long as it relates to uh, lodging, meals, those sorts of expenses. Uh, but I think, you know, we don't have to entertain that too much. I think we're all pretty much... You know, on, on, under the assumption that Hughes isn't going to be back next year. Had a great season. Um, one of the best in Syracuse history. It's funny, I was talking to somebody today and we were talking about that and how it might not be as remembered just given that the season that Syracuse had. Um, but I, but I do think it is one of the best in Syracuse history and he looks like a second round pick right now. And, and we can compare him to many in, in the history, whether it was, you know, Mello's one season here. Hughes ended up having two seasons. It's easy to forget he was here last year with Battle and with O'Shea Brissett. And now when you look at the heights that those three reached, it's like, how did the, that team lose in the first round of the tournament? Like, it's unbelievable to look back on now. And then, you know, that you can compare him to Battle, who had some pretty amazing seasons here too. Never led the ACC in scoring. Hughes played in a little bit of a weaker ACC, so you take that into account. But there's five things I'll always remember about him. The consistency is number one. Felt like he was in double figures every single night, whether it was last year's team or this year's team. Two completely different roles. That's the second thing. I mean, he was able to thrive here as both an off-ball scorer and an on-ball scorer. Took on an unimaginable scoring load coming into this year. We all knew he was going to be taking the ball, getting all the defensive attention, and... I don't think any of us knew how that was going to go, and I think it went even better than anyone could have expected, which is just unimaginable, uh, given what he had to do to keep this team afloat this year. Four, my favorite of all, the shot blocking. This guy blocked shots like a center. like The way he would come back on the back line, weak side, and just blow shots away. More last year than this year, but still, he had a few big ones this year. Um, And, you know, there wasn't a big shot, big moment like Battle had against Michigan State or the kind of style that he played late in games. But, you know, he was able to give them some monster performances. And I think the fact that he leaves Syracuse, ending a six-year drought against UNC, scoring 30 points in that game, and just hitting those two big shots at the end of the first half. Not a ginormous moment, but I think that's when you hold on to and say, like, that was a great way to go out for him. And... Of course, he wanted to play the next night. The whole team wanted to play the next night. That's the last night we recorded, James. We both had a pretty yeah. good idea we wouldn't see them against Louisville the next night. But uh, it's it's a weird season that Hughes had to go through, probably one of the weirdest in Syracuse history. So it's almost fitting that it ended like that. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to all that, where we've been and what's going on and how, how much the world has changed since the last time we recorded. But uh, for Hughes, you know, I think he gave you a couple memorable moments. I mean, no, no game winners like battle or anything like that. But, um, you know, in, in the most recent game, the, the shot right before the half at UNC, you know, that was sort of memorable in its own way. Uh, the year the year prior, you know, we all remember the shot he hit against Duke. I think that'll probably be the most memorable oh, shot. Oh, that's right. From, from How did I forget that one? You know, he had a few clutch buckets in there, too. Um you know, the, the Florida State game, obviously Syracuse didn't come out a winner there, but he had a few clutch buckets there. And, um, you know, don't forget about that, that NCAA tournament performance and the loss, granted, against Baylor where he put up 25. He had a heck of a shooting night that night as well. Um, but, yeah, you know, Hughes certainly, you know, makes sense. He, he did score in double figures every game for Syracuse in the games that he was healthy. The only two games he didn't were the NC State game when he went down in the first minute. And at Miami, where he went down at the half, and I think he had eight points at the half. So uh, every other game, he scored in double figures for Syracuse this year. He really did it all. Uh, rebounded pretty well for the most part. Um, assist numbers could have been maybe a little, little bit higher, but I thought you know he, he was by far and away the best offensive player that Syracuse had. That was Syracuse's best shot. Was, uh, he was shooting the ball. 
And uh, yeah, just a tremendous year. I think just going off the top of my head here, he scored 19 points a game. Battle did that, um, you know, I think last year or two seasons ago. And I don't think anybody's done that since Kim Warp did um, in his last year at Syracuse. So uh, pretty, pretty impressive when you consider the, the kind of season he had. And he could have had more points per game if he didn't get hurt in those two other games. The, the backstory too, Matt, you know, we both did a little bit on his backstory. This is a guy who loved Syracuse growing up from Beacon, New York, went to a camp at the Dome as a walk-in. Like, he wasn't even in the elite camp. He was just one of the kids walking in who wanted to get a photo with Aheim. And, you know, he went to high school with Matt Moyer, uh, was there with Frank Howard, Cam Reddish, some of the other guys that Syracuse was looking at. And, you know, he caught a little bit of traction there, but never enough to get a serious look at going to Syracuse. So he ends up going to East Carolina, has a rough year there. Like looking back on it, he hurts his foot, shot like 29% from three, didn't pick up a bunch of momentum that season. But Syracuse, after um, losing, I think Malachi Richardson the year before that was the scholarship guy they lost. Um, and then all the transfers that they had the year after in that 16-17 season, they needed a guy and credit them for keeping tabs on him and even believing in him after a rough season there because you know you look back at 2018 where he has to sit out that year that they go in the sweet 16 run like he was saying it and you know you look at it from our end too if they had him on that run with how starving they were for offense like that's just a whole different team and then you know he he makes the mark they did these last two years so his story was incredible on top of the career he had here yeah, no doubt. That team uh, almost beat Duke in the Sweet 16, right? You remember in, in Omaha two years ago. If they have Hughes, if the transfer rule, which probably gets passed this year, was passed a couple of years ago, fun to play a what-if. That team with Elijah Hughes hitting threes at that time, you're probably looking at a team that beats that, that Duke team and is at least in the Elite Eight matchup versus Kansas with a chance at the Final Four. You know, third Final Four since 2013 and what, a five five-year stretch would it be or five yeah. or six-year stretch so it's remarkable but like you said the academic issues uh held him back he interesting you know his teammate you mentioned matt moyer uh who's also in the who's in the portal now uh for the second time he said elijah may have left uh may have committed too early needed until his last year of high school during open gyms when other college coaches uh, including tony bennett were really impressed with him. He very well could have ended up on a different path and not in Syracuse's hands. So, you know, who knows? There's also that way up as well. The, the guy took basketball extremely seriously too. Like he, he was not one of these guys who was focused on other stuff. Like he was the star of the team, but he was locked in on the on the court stuff too, which I always love. A great face in the room. Seemed like he was a great teammate. A pretty good interview too. Like he was always willing to give some good quotes and everything else. Like he was just a nice, nice face for the program in the short time that he was there. Um, and he was able to raise them to a new level, I feel like, when they were struggling through some talent issues, some departures, especially this year. We're talking about a year, James, that I think certainly would have gone under 500. And we'll get a test next year, which we'll get into at the end of the show, of what they look like without Hughes now. But you know, just looking back on this year and imagining what they would be without his 20 to 30 points every single game, it would have been hard for them to get by. And just a massive piece in that zone, too, as I mentioned before. Like, he was, I thought, maybe the most valuable player in the ACC. Trey Jones ends up winning ACC Player of the Year. He's teammates with another ACC Player of the Year candidate in Vernon Carey. You have Yanawara, who held Louisville pretty together through some ups and downs. But I think if we're talking about most valuable piece in the entire conference, like who held their team to the highest standard, and if you pulled them out, they would have dropped the most. I, I don't know where else you look but Hughes. Yeah, for, first on your point, I think Hughes, uh, great interview. Uh, all, all the time you'd interview him, and he'd give honest answers, and he'd give you some interesting quotes. He had a nice balance to him where I think, you know, he took the basketball portion serious, and then he didn't take himself so serious, you know, off the court. Yeah. Uh, always being fun, poking jabs at, at teammates, and, you know, R Robert Braswell, those guys. Um, you know, good balance. Uh, I could tell, like, just a couple times recording before games, he'd, he'd 
gloss over and give the camera a look or cross his arm. So, you know, j- just a fun guy to be around, fun guy to cover. Um, but, yeah, certainly, uh, you know, ACC, you know, most outstanding player award, right? You know, we know how that goes. We can get into the semantics. So certainly, if you want to look at most valuable, I, I think certainly nobody meant more to their team in the ACC this year than Elijah Hughes. Um, I think there's an argument for John Mooney in there. You can make the case for either of those guys, but yep. it's really hard to think what, what Syracuse would have been like this year without Hughes. Um, he did it all. You know, I, I think back two seasons ago, it, it was so hard sometimes for, for Tyus Battle to score. You know, guys were just locking in on him, and, and maybe that's not a fair comparison because the ACC was dead down this year. But he, he made it look effortless at times where he could just score. He could go off, he could take his guy one-on-one, and he would just go get a bucket. Um, so definitely impressive what he did, not just in the scoring, you know, everything that he did, defense, the rebounding, um, blogged a lot of minutes within the two, three zone. We know that. Um, so just, just a heck of a year, uh, from top to bottom, really from him. Since we last talked, Bryson Godine has entered the transfer portal and then heads out to Providence in rapid fashion. That's the one that surprised everybody. I think, uh, he mm-hmm. was definitely one of the recruits that they loved, Boston area guy, and top 100 in this class, and then ends up becoming that key defensive in-between guy as Bayheim or Gerard, whichever one of them would struggle, he would come in and provide a little bit of defense. Wake Forest game comes in, Buddy moves to the back line. I think Jim Bayheim really loved that alignment, even though he didn't end up using it much down the stretch of the season. Could have been something they looked at using more next year with Hughes gone on the back line. And now he's gone. Uh, another piece that they're going to have to look to replace in that backcourt, primarily with Kadari Richmond. It was a stunner, and he wasn't very. He said he was working hard. He wanted minutes, and he didn't get minutes. And I, I looked both ways on this one because this guy struggled immensely early on. Like he would come out and commit two turnovers in two minutes, and. I'll give a little bit to Bayheim on this front because I felt like Bayheim was working hard to integrate him early on. Quincy, too, another guy who would come in and either foul repetitively or turn it over himself. And those two, those were two guys he was pushing all year long to get into the rotation. And when you look at ACC play, there were games he wouldn't play, but overall he was playing 10 minutes a game. And when Bayheim was pretty much going five, six deep at the end of the year, 10 minutes isn't nothing in his rotation. But still, I mean, he probably wanted frontline minutes, and that might be something he's able to get at Providence. But concerning for the program, I think, when we're talking about a situation now where 330-plus have entered the transfer portal, I think everybody gets a sense that there's going to be some leniency on the NCAA's part for waivers, given how this season ended so abruptly. Many teams didn't play their final game. They were in conference tournaments, and all those conference tournaments got called off by the coronavirus. So... Maybe Goodine's playing next year for Providence. Maybe he's getting big minutes, and that's why a lot of guys took risk, I think. And we're also seeing changes on that horizon very soon in general, as Matt mentioned. So he goes out the door, and then we're talking about Jalen Carey, too. Uh, A guy I don't think we're as surprised about. He was ousted from the rotation after about two games, gets the surgery. So he has the medical redshirt that he can get immediate eligibility with, too, whenever he goes. So we're talking about Joe Girard, Buddy Bayheim. And a freshman next year, which is a little bit concerning if Howard Washington doesn't end up turning back. And it doesn't look like he's going to either. So, you know, Matt was early on a lot of that stuff. He had the vibes on who was looking to get out of there, who was staying. And then, of course, we get the confirmation through several other reports that followed. Um, Matt, I'll start with you. Um, Syracuse.com had those quotes about him wanting more minutes. Uh, anything else go into the decision? Was it just not a fit you feel like for him? I think that's it. Absolutely. Just the, the minute scenario he wanted to play. And I think if you're him, you see next year and you're not necessarily getting a, a more amplified role. Uh, maybe a couple minutes here and there, but uh, I think you know, unless he proves to be just a knockdown shooter in certain situations, you know, shooting is, it has potential, I think, but it's still probably need some work. Uh, he probably saw himself as another guy coming off the bench. And hey, if, if it's between him and Kadari, what if Kadari then has a great showing in the fall and beats out that first guard or only guard off the bench spot? So I think if you're Bryson, it made sense. Family means a lot to him as well. It re- legitimately does. And I think he wanted to be close to his, his family so they could come out and support him. He's very close to his mom, especially, who worked him out 
growing up, rebounded, you know, stuff that we normally think of as a father role, his mom uh, did. And so I think Bryson, uh, for a number of reasons, those those two especially wanted to stay closer. And who knows what he was promised by Providence. Maybe he was promised a starting backcourt job or at least being one of three candidates for that job. Yeah, I, I think he's a good fit at Providence. I think that'll work out well. Uh, you know, so, somewhat surprising that, that he did transfer. I think if you're looking at it from the outside, I think, you know, Jalen made sense. Maybe you thought he might have transferred at mid-year instead of year-end. But, you know, I think that made sense. I don't think that surprised anybody. Um, for Howard, I thought he might have transferred actually last season. I thought that would have made a little bit more sense. But well, Yeah, he was uh, looking into it, apparently. Right, right. And, you know, with Bryson, yeah, maybe somewhat surprising. Um, but, you know, that that backcourt situation is probably not going to change for the next two years with Joe, Joe Girard and Buddy Beheim at starter and Joe presumably not locking down the, the starting point guard roles for the foreseeable future. Um, but, yeah, as Matt points out, you know, what if Kadari comes in and has a good showing? You know, he's got that length. He's a 6'5 guard and, you know, he can do some things on the offensive end. I think Bryson showed himself what he could do defensively this year. I think he's a better offensive player than what he was able to showcase at Syracuse. Um, you know, sometimes just didn't look as aggressive as he, he could be. You know, I think he showcased that at Pittsburgh a little bit. He showed a little bit of aggressiveness in that game. But, yeah, um, a little bit concerning for Syracuse in terms of the depth. I think, you know, the, the starters are there. You know, you can take a little bit of solace in that and that, you know, both starters are there. I think it would speak to a bigger problem if a starter were transferring. And, you know, but these guys weren't getting the minutes that they wanted. And I think it, it does make sense on the on the whole for them if they're they're not getting minutes and the backcourt situation isn't going to change. It makes sense to look at a transfer. It, it's concerning. Oh, it's always concerning to see players leave. Certainly, I mean, we we didn't like when Torian Thompson transferred because he was going to be that center option for three four years there, and then they have to go to Chukwu and then eventually Sadibe. So that had after effects there. This one probably won't have the fallout. Uh, like that one did, you're losing a bench player as opposed to a starter. But we're talking about at least three players gone here. Hughes certainly already. Goodine's gone. Uh, Carey is almost certainly going to be gone. And then you throw yes. Washington in the mix too. I mean, that's unprecedented in these 44 years of Bayheim. I, I was looking back at his transfer history, and you had a situation where two guys would leave in like the middle of every decade. And if you go back to like 1978, there were three guys leaving over the course of two seasons. But we were talking at the beginning of this offseason, as of a week ago, about five players possibly leaving. I, I, you know, leave Hughes out of that. That's a different situation. So four in Robert Braswell, Washington, Carey, and Goodine, which is devastating for the depth. And it looks like Robert Braswell might be staying. He's taking a look at his options. It feels like Washington's in a similar situation right now. But it's concerning Internally and externally, as we talk about Patrick Tepay and Seth Towns not giving Syracuse a long look as well. I mean, why do you think this is all happening at once, Matt? Is it just the new reality in college basketball? Because we're seeing everybody lose players. I mean, Alex O'Connell entered the transfer portal out of Duke today, which is con which is probably concerning for them. But Syracuse just seems to be feeling this at a greater level than everybody else. Yeah, no doubt. It does seem to be, you know, it'd be hard to track, right, the, the specifics of quality of player leaving and, and when they leave, what year they leave, after how much playing time. There's a lot of variables, but may, hey, maybe that's another uh, advanced stat that will come out in a couple of years. Uh, <laughs> I do think what has the Mac boot. About, <laughs> uh, my high cal my high calculus Syracuse University uh, formula, but I, I do think on a serious note, uh, something that hasn't been talked about too much is the idea that Syracuse has had some guys transfer or consider transferring, but they've been so good for so long. I think your argument isn't as strong when the team is playing well. So if they're gonna, if they were flirting with 500 most of this season, and you're Bryson, you're Howie, you're Jalen, at least in the first couple games or, or last season, and you're on the bench watching a team play 500 ball. You're like, well, maybe I can go out and help them, right? I should, I should at least have more of a chance to see if we can win with me on the floor. And I think the the record not being where it usually is does play a role here. Uh, could be wrong, but that's that's what my theory would be for for why we've seen more transfers lately. It's that after a you know twenty twenty win, eighteen win season this year, uh, people are more maybe likely to leave than a you know a thirty and five Syracuse team or twenty eight 
and seven team that was ranked all season. So this is, I want to throw this at you, James, because this was a really good one from McCleary there at the Daily Orange on Washington's transfer. Uh, the details he had was that after last season, Washington went to Bayheim. I asked, pretty much asked about the situation, and Bayheim just said, you know, you should transfer. There's probably not going to be time for you here. You should take a look elsewhere where you can go to. And, you know, Washington wanted to be involved here. He always loved Syracuse, another guy local, sort of, from Buffalo, through their Canadian pipeline. And he stayed. He tried to fight for rotation minutes to Italy. Didn't get a lot of time there. I thought it was interesting when I asked Beheim at media day about Washington because he was, of course, coming back from the stroke and the knee surgery and everything else. And, you know, Beheim just kind of gave like a, you know, mild answer on him. He's like, yeah, he's doing good. And then, you know, what followed is what you'd expect from an answer like that. He didn't get a lot of time. He didn't step up into that backup point guard role that I think both he and Bryson thought was going to be there. And Joe Girard was in that picture as well when Carey was the starter. So Carey goes down, Gerard steps into that role, and and you never saw that backup point guard spot open up, at least consistently. Washington had that great performance against Georgia Tech. Uh, he yep. was always involved in, in terms of leadership on the sideline. I love watching him call out rotations and just yep. be an active vocal guy over there. And mm-hmm. beyond that, just having that feather in your cap as a program, you know, you have this guy who just loves to be here, survived the stroke. You have that great story, and it didn't feel like there was a lot of effort to keep him, try to involve him, and now he has really no choice but to look elsewhere with uh, a couple years of eligibility left given the red shirt last year. That one just bugs me the most because, you know, Goodine, Carey, those guys are talented players. They want to go elsewhere. It is what it is. Those guys are probably capable of starting with a D1 program. Washington, you know, it's a little, it's a little less certain there, but at the same time, he could give you a little something off the bench. We saw it. And he's a guy you want to have in that room. He's a guy you want to have around the program. And ju- to just see them cast him off pretty much really irked me because I was a big fan of him in my own right. And I think he helped a lot being in there. But, you know, this is how it goes now. This is something Syracuse is going to have to adjust to because pretty soon guys are going to be able to transfer. If they want more time, they're going to be able to hold that over a coach's head. And that's something Bayheim's going to have to adjust to, especially because, you know, he's a little standoffish on these things as we see. Sure. And I think that could be spun either way. I mean, if you look at Syracuse, you could say, well, if you think you're a good player, you want to come play at Syracuse because you're going to be in that rotation and you're going to play 35 minutes a game or however many. Um, so, I mean, it does go both ways in that regard, but um, specifically with Howie, yeah, I mean, I think last year, it, there's two two sides on Bayheim, but you could also appreciate, you know, him being honest with the player and say, hey, you know, you're not going to play here, you might you might want to explore your, your, your options elsewhere. Yeah. Um, some people might think that is harsh, some people might appreciate the honesty, you know, we know that, that Bayheim's a polarizing guy, depending on who you ask, but, you know, that's that's a horse of a different color. Um, I, think, I think with Howie... Um, yeah, you know, and shout out to McCleary for, for this, but I think it would have made sense to transfer last year, but as, as I stated in the piece, you know, the season kind of came up quick, dealing with a lot of different things. All of a sudden, you know, you're, you're going to Italy in August, uh, the season kind of comes up on you quick. And then the next thing you know, you're, you're in the midst of the season. Um, so I think, I think from that aspect, him, him pointing that out, that made sense. Um, and you know, how many times that we look at the, the backcourt and talk about the guard rotation and. You know, it's it's got to be very difficult to find playing time for these these five guys. Um, and then, as we know, you know, Jalen goes down, so now you have four. And it it didn't really seem like you know Howie or um, you know Bryson really commanded that backup spot, as as you stated. Um, you know, it seemed like towards the end of the season, Howard would come in in the first half, you know, kind of run the offense a little bit, find guys, you know, table set guys, and get them in their spots. Um, you know, Everybody kind of respected him in the locker room from that regard. You know, high IQ guy, knows the game, uh, very vocal on the sidelines and in huddles, you know, timeouts, that sort of thing. Always picking guys up. You know, teammates are getting yelled at, whatever. He's kind of putting his arm around him saying, hey, you know, do better, rebound better. You got it. You know, kind of that type of guy. Um, But, you know, he'll land somewhere. Uh, I think he can land somewhere and he could play. Um, We'll see what options emerge for him. But. You know, I mean, just a, a guy that you would love to have in your locker room, great teammate, um, you know, good person, all those sorts of things. So 
Um, there, there's a market for him. He'll land somewhere and he'll he'll get minutes. He's got a couple of years left, so um, he'll he'll land somewhere and he'll get minutes somewhere. We're talking about this off season stuff in this time that would have been that first weekend after Selection Sunday. The double tournament games will be going on right now. This is the first March Madness canceled since it began in 1939, which is unbelievable to think about. I mean, Matt's on vacation. He would have been doing some college basketball stories right now. And, you know, the Celtics are gone. Like, all sports are gone in general, and we're not (laughs) going to have them back for a long time. This is unprecedented what we're going through right now. And the weirdest part of it all, guys, is just seeing business as usual in college. Like, the day after they canceled March Madness – Guys were transferring. Coaches were getting fired. Like Rick Patino was going to Iona. <laughs> like it was just so weird when we would have all eyes on college basketball. It was like April fifth or whatever it is. Like whenever the national championship ended, and the next day it's the off season. That's what it felt like, and it was it was so strange to see. And you were down there in Carolina, Matt, when that tournament got canceled. What what was that like for you being there and just feeling the sports world ending? Because I know at home watching North Carolina Syracuse, when I had a feeling that was going to be the last college basketball game we watched all year, I was just savoring it so much because I knew I had a feeling, pretty strong feeling, that we wouldn't see, be seeing any sports for a long time. Yeah, I mean, how much news happened during that game? I mean, I got texts from a couple people, I'm sure with you guys, that were home watching it, but didn't really know the score. They weren't even following the game that much. A, it was not a great game, just generally for Syracuse, yes, but as a just general fan, no. And and B, there was, you know, Twitter, Facebook, any news site blowing up with everything getting canceled, right? So uh, mm-hmm. I think we it was inevitable that Syracuse would be as well. So the next morning, to bring you to Greensboro, uh, ACC Commission has a press conference. He's a half hour late. It's a 40 minute press conference or something. You know, a lot, lot of talk and doesn't really say much and basically says, we're just going to tip off the 1230 game like normal. Uh, Florida State's out there warming up. The band is going. The cheerleaders are cheering. And then we get an alert. What time was it? 12 ish, maybe on, on Thursday, ACC tournaments. Right before the game, yeah. Right. And this is right after SEC had canceled, right after Big Ten had canceled. Um, it just seemed like there wasn't a lot of communication among the leagues and uh, especially at the college level. The NBA definitely, uh, excuse my language, had their shit together. And it just seemed like, and you know, the lack of. The Big East tipped off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, I then canceled at halftime. Not a great look on the leadership part of uh, of college athletics. But anyway, it was just a very bizarre scene uh, in Greensboro. And then, you know, players packed their bags. I, I go, quick last thing, I go to the hotel where a few of the teams were staying, Louisville, Florida State, and Notre Dame, maybe one other. And I see Notre Dame get down in the elevator, just all on their phones, you know, texting, family, friends, everything's done. And everyone started packing their bags and a couple buses headed out to the airport, and that's it. Just getting home. Unbelievable. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The game. world was completely different from the last time that we recorded, Bobby, because recording that night after the North Carolina game, yeah, you, you probably had a stronger stronger sense than I. Um, I probably would have leaned that way that the game wasn't going to get played, but I still thought there might have been a chance. And it just happened so quickly. You know, it seemed like one league after the next, um, ACC not not the first to act there. Um, you know, Big Ten, SEC, those guys canceling, and then the ACC kind of following suit, which I think made sense. Uh, I think it was the right call. You know, probably should have been called a little bit sooner. And how great does the Ivy League look, you know, now for being the first to really do that? And the uh, smart the ones. League, right? <laughs> <laughs> and, and the Big East, man, they're the last to go down. So, you know, they're the toughest. What's that say about uh, the Big East? <laughs> <laughs> the toughest conference, man. Always Not the them. Ivy League. Uh, <laughs> Um, no, 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 jokes aside, but, uh, yeah, it, it just seemed amazing, you know, how, how quickly things happened. And then all of a sudden we go, you know, full stop to no postseason. 
And it, it seems like Duke and Kansas really forced the NCAA's hand. I think I think that's what happened. You know, um, CBS, uh, Matt Norlander had a great piece out just saying that the NCAA was trying to do just a 16-team tournament over five days down in Atlanta. So essentially um, just the Sweet 16, you know, the top 16 teams down. Uh, if one team wasn't going to come, they were just going to go down to 17, 18. So, so, you know, and so how angry would that have made people like the 17th teams that were left out all around? Like it just right. would have been a mess. And right. I know people would have liked having something over nothing, but there was just no way anything was going to go on. And, you know, the NCAA was lucky in the sense that they had a lot of time before March Madness was going to begin. Like this wasn't 12 o'clock before the, you know, round of 64, right. whatever it is now, 128 starting up. But, you know, they were able to see everything else, whether it was the NHL, the NBA on that Wednesday canceling and have the time and space with the conferences taking the brunt of this to make their own cancellation. And, you know, they had a lot of ideas. I saw one was like one location where pretty much every team's playing and you would have had all the players in the stands instead of fans, which would have been pretty funny. But there was no feasible way for any of this to go forward when you started having players, officials, people around the teams, you know, even broadcasters in the building. Nobody knew at that space and time who was positive. And now we're seeing, I think, 14 NBA players up from two last week have uh, been confirmed to have COVID-19. So this was just growing rapidly, whether you're talking about sports or even real life. I mean, we're up to 4,000 cases now in the U.S. total. Like this has ballooned in the last week as tests have come out to a point where it was just unfeasible for anyone to do this. Because even right now, like, you know, I don't know if you know, Matt, but has Syracuse been tested? They probably haven't. No, not not that I know of. Uh, I liked your language. But we can, that's an interesting point. We can talk about that. But I liked your language, too, on the idea that, uh, you know, guys have been tested. That That number will likely increase. And I think we need to be clear that it will increase because guys are being tested, not necessarily because it's it's spreading currently. Hopefully people are quarantined, right? And I think some media places have clarified that, some have not. Just if the number, because more people are being tested, right? So there's likely more than 14 NBA players who have it, I would assume, right? So yeah, um, doesn't mean it's spreading at the, at the current moment. They, they could have gotten it already and they just haven't, it hasn't been confirmed yet. Yeah, an interesting point. I, I don't think Syracuse uh has been tested with it uh maybe unless james disagrees but i I don't think they have yeah so i mean you never know like any one of them could have it i mean marcus smart didn't have a symptom at all didn't feel wrong in any way said he could go and play a game right now and he has it so that's the kind of disease we're talking about right now it's just a silent killer you know and we're talking about this killing people and it's not just old people like we've seen severe symptoms in younger people now too and if you can't get access to medical care. That's the big concern here. So, you know, there's been a lot of awareness raised about this over the last week and a half. Um, we're seeing the impact it's had on Italy now, Italy, more deaths than China. Like, it's just a surreal time. And, you know, James, you were feeling this like weeks and weeks ago. We now know that like the administration had some idea that this was coming back in January. So, you know, that's another conversation. But uh, like, how surreal does this all feel? Like the world is stopped. We don't have much to write about. We're all at home. You're working from home. Matt's down in Florida. I, I still have my day job, but I feel like by Monday, it's probably going to be shut down as we see more things close. And we're talking about a situation that one yep. week in has already felt insane and is probably going to get worse in the next few weeks. Like As bad as that sounds, like that's just the writing on the wall now when we're talking about this country being two weeks behind Italy. Yeah, you know, and I don't think we'll get up to you know Italy's level. I don't want to get you know too much into this just because I'm not I'm not a doctor. You know, I'm not. Yeah, but know. I mean, what's it like? You live in New York, which has been like the epicenter of this. What's it What's it like there? Yeah, yeah. So I'm in the hotbed currently. Uh, great, great place to be apparently right now. But yeah, it's it's been strange. You know, I mean, I think it's it's been kind of, for the lack of a better word, incredible in, in a bad way that you know how how quickly the world has come to a, to a halt, you know, how quickly things have gotten shut down or altered the way that we've done things. Uh, certainly in New York, uh, you know, pretty much across the board, everybody's working from home. Uh, just about everything has been, been shut down. It's all non-essential. Uh, so you're talking about, you know, grocery stores are still open, pharmacies are still open, and that's about it. Um, you know, the only thing that hasn't officially been shut down is, is you know, public transportation to this point. 
Um, so I mean, it's it's kind of incredible. That, that doesn't <laughs> that can shut itself down because that's the last place anyone wants to be right now. <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, you know, there, there's still, you know, for where I am, you know, I'm on the Upper East Side and there, there's still people out walking. You know, I think there's still people out driving a little bit, uh, but it's it's really altered the way that we've done things. There's going to be a lot of collateral damage in the wake of this thing. Hopefully we can just get through it, you know, flatten the curve, spread, you know, the, the spread, flatten that out, um, limit as much as we can. You know, it's kind of full on damage control right now. And you, know, you, you hope that people that do have this can can get through this and. We can prevent the further spread of it, but yeah, it's it's certainly been almost bewildering just to see how quickly things have changed, how much and how fast things have changed. I think that's the biggest thing for me is just you know everything was was fine a month ago, and now we're we're in a completely different space, completely different territory, and uh, you know hopefully we're we can all get through it. Um, you know we're all kind of in the same boat right now. Everybody's kind of impacted and. You know, to a different degree, but you know, we're all impacted under the same thing. Hopefully, we can all get through it with as limited, um, you know, with a. I guess I would just say as limited impact as is possible, and, and everybody that has it, hopefully, they can get through it in the best way that we all can. It's it's you know, no matter who you are, you're affected in some way, and there's big big scale things like people losing jobs now, like people imagining unemployment reaching like, you know, teens and maybe even twenty, which is just insane to think about. People that are dealing with the symptoms and you know, it's pretty frightening. I think the the numbers are somewhere around, you know, just under five percent deaths and um, you know, this has been a lot of impact. But hopefully those that do have this are, are the ones that can get through this the the best. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Matt, you're hunkering down in Florida, not a bad choice. Um, with sports shut down, you know, you being a full-time sports writer, uh, how are you handling this? How is the athletic handling this? Um, you know, I, I saw you got in touch with Bayheim from his quarantine, but you know, we're talking about a situation where there's going to be no sports, not many developments at all <laughs> into yeah. June, maybe even longer than that. So, you know, how, what's that adjustment like for you? Yeah, obviously tough for everybody, right? There's not too many uh, winners in this, a lot of losers. I think um, from our perspective, the good thing is, you know, technically sports are not canceled, the games are canceled. So that's the approach I'm trying to, the, the vantage point I'm trying to see this as. Sports are sports are on. Uh, athletes are still athletes. It's just that the games, the physical games and practices are right now are, are postponed. And like James said, we don't want to speculate. I'd love to see sports return in mid-May, late May, as we've as we've said, the earliest MLB gets back, you know, NBA, June, right, July, I don't know. But, you know, hopefully it's just this summer and not extending into the fall just for, for the health and wellness of people, especially the, the underprivileged people, right, who are in any situation, most situations, the ones most affected. Uh, so, to, you know, to answer your question, luckily I woke up Friday morning to a long email from my boss with a bunch of story ideas for, for some athletic writers. So, uh, you know, a lot of nostalgia, right? We can use the past, revisit key moments, key figures. I think you'll, you're seeing a lot of that already across sports uh, media, and I think you'll see a lot more of that. The good thing, too, is, guys, a lot of people are available. Right? You call them, text them. It's not like they're running out doing 15 things at the grocery store or, or at practice. Right? They're, they're probably home on their phone. So that's that, that actually can be helpful in a way. I'm getting really sick of seeing on Twitter everybody's, you know, we got people doing fake brackets or what, what if brackets. <laughs> Look at this highlight from 1955. I'm like, hey, it's, it's I'll say this. I'm so, you know, we don't we don't give Syracuse a lot of credit around here, but I'm so happy they didn't do their stupid one shining moment like everyone's releasing now. <laughs> like, I'm glad they knew in their heart of hearts they were never making the tournament and just, you know, held that back because everybody's doing that oh, right goodness. now. Every day we get three new ones and yeah, it's sorry, North Texas. I don't think you were going to get one shining moment, but who knows? Thinks they would have been NCHA. Everybody, you know, we would have been this, but yeah, hey, we, if we, they we, can we, do we, that. Syracuse gets to be co-ACC champions, right? <laughs> um, this is affecting Syracuse too. It doesn't look like anybody on the team is going to be able to get back to campus and work out or anything like that. Gyms are closed, so you know, Buddy Bayheim has his facility at uh, Jim's house there, but. You know, Jesse Edwards is back in Amsterdam and everybody pretty much is stuck at home. Uh, like, that's another thing you have to think of with this is 
you know, guys aren't going to be able to get their normal workout off-season regimens in for quite some time, which is another impact of this, as Syracuse is going to have quite a few players coming back. 300 people are transferring, so Syracuse is going to get to take a look at over 300 names. So that'll keep Jim busy and uh, at least keep the news rolling. So Buddy coming back, Gerard coming back off a pretty good year. Braswell coming back is really exciting if he is indeed because, you know, James and I love this guy a lot. I still think he has a lot of potential. And then, you know, Quincy was a guy that some people were looking at as an NBA draft prospect. And even though it was a rough season for him, now that you get another year out of him, which is encouraging too. And Sadibe made some strides toward the end of the season. Three great games in the final five. So it's a little concerning not having Hughes coming into next year, but as you look at the roster, James, some of the improvements that players made, Buddy being among the most improved, what do you envision next year looking like? Uh, it's you know it's way too soon to throw any predictions on next year. You know how many games Syracuse can win, or you know where they can land in the postseason, anything like that. But I, th- I think when you look at the roster that they currently have with the guys coming back, I think you feel okay about the front court, even though you lose Hughes. Um, you know when you look at Marek Dolajai, Quincy, and Barama, presumably as starters, uh, if you can get how Barama played towards the end of the season. Uh, how Quincy played towards the end of the season, and how Marek played, frankly, in the middle of the season, I think you feel pretty good about that. Um, if you have Robert Braswell coming in and then he supplements the depth there, you have a knockdown shooter. He's got to get a little bit better defensively and, and you know, with the movements within the zone, but I think he's a great shooter. He's got really good athleticism. Um, reminds me a little bit of James Sutherland. And then you get Jesse Edwards back. Now, again, as you mentioned, you know, we don't know what these guys can do. Their their regimen certainly impacted by everything that's going on right now. But if Jesse Edwards can throw on some muscle, I think you like what you have there. Um, so I don't know that Syracuse needs to make any any big additions in the front court. I know they've been looking at a couple guys there, but what you really need is another player to come in and help the depth in the back court. Um, Joe and Buddy are coming back. I think the defense could be a little bit better with maybe somebody like Kadari coming in. And, but if one of those guys gets hurt or, you know, for whatever reason doesn't play the way that they're capable of, you'd really like to have another guard back there. So I think that's one move that Syracuse will look to make. Um, but, yeah, I mean, on the whole, I mean, I think you feel okay even though you lose Hughes. But it's it's going to be tough um, with the current roster for Syracuse just to find that point production and pick up everything that Hughes gave them this year. Matt, I love this line from your piece. I told Barama, Marek, and Jesse that at least they can eat a lot. They'll be eating. That helps. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, you can't do a lot of basketball stuff. At least you can uh, hopefully grab a good Netherlands-type meal or a good Slovakian meal if you can. If he's back there, <laughs> eat up, man. They gotta obviously put some pounds on. <laughs> hey, we'll keep dreaming. I mean, last time I saw Marek, he was at Chipotle passing up on the beans. So. <laughs> There should not be any passing up of the beans this offseason. Um, that's all I got. I mean, is there anything else you guys want to look back on from last season? It was, I mean, we were looking back at July and then the early seasons when we were coming together, and it was a weird, weird year for all of us. I ended up graduating early, so I was kind of out of the fold there yeah. in the second Rest. half of the year. Um, you know, who knows if we're even going to have a graduation ceremony. Like, that's something a lot of seniors are looking at now and wondering. Um, Siveru did not sound too uh, optimistic about that as much as he wanted to give some hope about May. But classes have moved online at Syracuse. The season ends abruptly like that. So I don't think it was quite the year any of us were envisioning. Uh, James went down to Miami for a game that didn't even end up meaning all that much. So like there was just a lot of unexpected things that happened this year, uh, whether it was Jalen Carey not being the point guard, which we all thought was going to be inevitable, or um, you know Bryson leaving by the end of the year, or Gerard having the year he had. So uh, what are you going to remember most about this year, Matt? I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. You listed a, quite a few options there. I probably have to say, just going back to the top of our conversation, Elijah, Elijah Hughes' uh, stellar season is what 
is if I'm going to remember one thing and a otherwise relatively down here, um, at least as far as Syracuse standards, people are, are spoiled in central New York. A lot of teams would take 18 and 14. Uh, but I think I just remember Elijah Hughes, the player, the person he was. James touched on some of his intangibles. Uh, great guy to cover, great guy to watch. And he will be missed here. One of the better two seasons and individual seasons in a while. Um, you know, it's fun to play. What if, if he had stayed, he'd probably go down as, you know, arguably could, uh, probably talking Jersey retirement if he explodes again next year or, or in that conversation, he's that good. I think that's what I'll, uh, I'll remember most about the year. How do you guys feel with the way things ended? You know, obviously we know it ended so abruptly in Syracuse, you know, beats North Carolina. Do you wish that there were more? I mean, at least for me, I, I kind of felt okay with where things ended. Um, oh, I was, I was, I thought it was the perfect ending. Like, you don't have to play Louisville. You don't have to suffer that defeat <laughs> that they probably would have. And, you know, like the fact that it was UNC mattered. Hey, I know uh, they had their worst season ever, probably, but they went up and smacked Syracuse in front of Brady, Jimmy Fallon, and Julian Edelman weeks prior. So to get back and for Hughes to have that performance and Barama especially, and we talked about this on other podcasts, but like he he's going to get a lot of blame for this year, uh, reasonably so in many facets. But for him to have the close of the year that he did, all yeah. the dunks that he was throwing down in that game, that was great to see. And frankly, like did I know it was disappointing by Syracuse's standards, and they dropped a few that they could have had. But this team definitely improved this year. Like Gerard having the season he had. No, like he has the season he has, and you tell someone back in July that he had that season, they probably end up pretty happy, and people would have been bummed about how it went with Carey, but that's some uh, some recluse there. And, you know, Buddy Bayheim having the stretch that he did throughout the middle of the year, like there was a lot of disappointments this year, but when you talk about Hughes, Bayheim, Gerard, they ended up having some pretty spectacular seasons. And, you know, above 500 overall, above 500 in conference, a top five or six in the conference wasn't terrible. And I don't think a lot of people thought they were going to be going to the tournament this year anyway. So by Syracuse standards, not great, but by what people expected coming in, I didn't think it was bad at all. So there we have it. Nothing else to say. Um, we, we won't be podcasting here for a while. Uh, there probably won't be too much going on on this at front as we all continue oh, to just hunker down. But uh, if we do end up wanting to watch a throwback, like I was watching Virginia Syracuse 2016 last night and Oof. you know the 2003 championship there's a lot of there's a lot on youtube that you can dig into uh even the 2003 game against texas which carmel anthony says is his best game ever even to this day uh, there's a lot you can do out there so maybe that's what we'll do going forward but hopefully everybody can stay safe um stay relaxed at a time like this i think that's the most important thing Sounds and uh, use this time in a positive way if you can whether it's for yourself or for other people um that's well, all sick. i got Matt, James, great talking with you. Awesome season. We were on a lot of videos, a lot of podcasts, and in a lot of locker rooms this year. So I'll always remember it. Appreciate you guys. Appreciate it, man. Stop boarding the TP, you guys. I don't. What's up with it? Stop boarding the TP.